From the Alex Trebek stage at Sony Picture Studios, this is Inside Jeopardy! Hello and welcome back to Inside Jeopardy, your exclusive and official podcast destination for all things happening in the world of Jeopardy. I'm Sarah Foss. I'm joined today by Buzzy Cohen. It is the dog days of summer here, huh? Woo! What a way to beat the heat. Come on inside and watch some Jeopardy or get into your car and crank up that AC. Inside Jeopardy. Listen to some inside Jeopardy, not outside sweaty Jeopardy. No. Inside cool air-conditioned Jeopardy. It's almost August. Yeah. I mean, where has summer gone? Now, by the way, I mentioned the dog days of summer. Do you know why they are called the dog days of summer? I do not. It is because the constellation Sirius would be in the sky just oh. for this, you know. I always just pictured a really hot dog yeah. with their tongue out. You yeah, know, that's like what <laughs> everyone does, but it's because of the constellation Sirius. Mm. There you go. Learn something new here on the pod with Buzz Buzz <laughs> Cohen. Well, it's happened, Buzzy. Ugh. Season 39. It's in the books. Yep. We've got six weeks of fabulous reruns, Second Chance, TOC, and a few curated special episodes to mm. wrap up that last week of the six weeks of reruns. And right after that is the start of season 40. And we know a lot of people have a lot of questions about season 40 right now. And a lot of people are talking about Jeopardy right now. So next week, executive producer Michael Davies and I will be here on the pod to talk about it all, a place where, for the past year, you've come for that information. In fact, it was exactly one year ago this week that this little podcast, Inside Jeopardy, launched. It was right at the start of the reruns. We were heading into season 39. And one of the things that was so anticipated was the return of those season 38 standouts. When they came back for TOC, and obviously they were back for Masters as well. Yep. And later in the show, we're going to be talking with our Jeopardy! Masters finalist, Matt Amodio. Cannot wait to talk to him. Yeah. But we've got a lot of shows to talk about, huh? Cue those beep boops. We started out the week with one-day champion Taylor Claggett going up against Simona Fina and Ian Fouts. Taylor got off to a good start, but really caught fire in double jeopardy, ending the round with $17,500 and a runaway. 25 correct responses in that game, and the only one to get final. Very, very impressive. A lot of people might be interested by Taylor's two mm-hmm. $100 daily double wagers. I think when you are... <laughs> in control of the game this much sometimes it makes sense one of the pieces of advices i got from alex jacob one of the things that we've seen people like alan lynn do like james holtower is you you either bet a big amount on a daily double or you bet really small now i think taylor could have bet five dollars and it was essentially the same as a hundred dollar bet but you know if you're not feeling strong in the categories or you just don't want to put yourself at risk I know we we had previously been quoted as saying we want you to bet bigger. But we, we want being you, to, you. Me. <laughs> I know I've been on record as saying bet bigger, but I think what I mean is most of the time strategically that's the right move. Taylor found this situation where it's not the right move, but I think uh, you know Taylor clearly knows what he is doing on this stage. Yes, and as you mentioned, it proved to be a good decision because he did get both of them incorrect, only losing. each time. Now, those categories where the Daily Doubles came up, Musical Works and My Would-Be VP, these were two very difficult categories Mm -hmm. for all three of our players. Nine out of the ten clues in those categories, triple stumpers. Oof, that's rough. 
Yes, but it was Ian's birthday on that tape day. <laughs> so during the break, Jimmy McGuire led the audience in a very arousing rendition of Happy Birthday. It's not every day you can no. compete on Jeopardy and have a studio audience sing to you. And while it may not have been the outcome that Ian wanted, he did get a $2,000 consolation prize for his birthday, which yeah. I, you know, if I got a random $2,000 on my birthday, I wouldn't sneeze at it. Winning. That's winning on your birthday. Yeah. Well, on Tuesday, our winner, Taylor, returned to face Andrew Knowles and Julie Sisson. Taylor finished the Jeopardy round in the lead while Julie trailed behind in third place. Julie finds the Daily Double in Double Jeopardy. She wagers 4000 but gets it wrong, dropping her down to just $200. Don't fear, though. She works her way back into contention, ending the round in second place behind Taylor. Taylor couldn't come up with the correct response in final, but Julie does earning a very exciting come-from-behind win, proving you never know when you're still in this. You know, this is a very interesting game statistically. If you look at buzzer percentage, Andrew certainly in control in double Jeopardy and right behind Taylor in the Jeopardy round has the most correct responses as well with 17, but with eight incorrect responses, that's really hurting him. Mm -hmm. And after such an impressive 25 correct responses in the previous game, this time Taylor only with 14 and Julie only with 14, this just feels like a game where nobody's really rocking, but very, very well played and a great come from behind win for Julie. Well, we did learn that Andrew has a really long tongue. Um, he's able to lick his elbow. <laughs> and then Ken mentioned that he can lick his own nose. And then at the break, Ken and Andrew took a picture with their tongues touching their noses. I can do this. Can you touch your tongue to your nose? I cannot touch my tongue Watch. to my nose. Oh, you got it. I got it, right? I was actually born with a tongue tie, so I guess it's not surprising oh. that I can't touch my tongue to my nose. I also can make a uh, very long tongue taco. Whoa. You know we're near the end of this uh, <laughs> season of Jeopardy and the season of Inside Jeopardy when yes. we're comparing mm -hmm. tongue tacos. It's but happened. But, but anyone... Andrew and Ken do have a nice picture because can you just yeah, picture it? Like you have a picture it. just standing with Alex. Andrew has a picture with Ian Ken touching that their That is really sweet. And I had never <laughs> I had never heard that thing about touching your tongue to your elbow being hard. And I just tried it again. We're at the end of the season. <laughs> Not here, even guys. close, guys. Not, Not even, even close. close. <laughs> um, let's move on to Wednesday's game, shall let's we? Let's do it. Our new champion, Julie, <laughs> returning to compete against Lucas Partridge and Alex Muller. Lucas and Alex battled back and forth with the lead changing hands multiple times. Alex finds the first daily double in double jeopardy. Bets big to try to catch Lucas, but she responds incorrectly allowing Lucas to cruise into final with a runaway win. I think Lucas must have taken note of Taylor's $100 daily double strategy, did the same thing, and it, you know, kind of with the same outcome. But the runaway here, really strong, 22 correct responses in this game for Lucas. Lucas with 92% correct, really strong. Those are the kinds of stats that put together a runaway game, so congrats. I also want to point out that in his interview, as you know, my favorite part of the show, mm -hmm. Lucas made 50 drinks in 50 days for each state during the pandemic. doesn't sound like he made one for each state. It sounds like he made one for himself for 50 days. And he went over a few of them in the commercial break, and they sounded delicious. So Ooh. I'm just saying, I might need to get those recipes. Julie leaves us as a one-day champion, but she actually brought with her you know, the, the previous game, she had a Scrabble tile for her grandmother who watched the game with her for so many years and proved to be good luck. And then she said, well, it could have been this. And she pulls out a Ken Jennings equivalent trading to card. like a trading card, a baseball card. 
So when she was getting ready to leave, she said, Ken, would you sign my baseball card? And he's like, sure. And he goes, this is going to go up on eBay. And she said, oh, no, I would never, <laughs> never part with it. And he signed it to a fellow Jeopardy champion. That is really and he sweet. said, you know what, Julie, we're in a pretty elite club. That is really sweet. Well done. What a mensch, that Ken Jennings. I love that Ken Jennings. We hear from so many interesting people on this podcast about their love for learning. What if you could learn from the world's best all in one place? You can with Masterclass. With Masterclass, you can learn from the best to become your best. Masterclass is the only streaming platform where you can learn and grow with over 200 of the world's best for just $10 a month. And you can access Masterclass on your phone, computer, smart TV, or even in audio mode. Confidently navigate the media with the influential, intellectual Noam Chomsky. Use science to solve your problems with Bill Nye. Or learn from the past with Pulitzer Prize-winning historian Doris Kearns Goodwin. I personally enjoy James Clear's class that is helping me build smarter habits to help tackle daily challenges. Right now, our listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com jeopardy. That's 15% off at masterclass.com jeopardy. Masterclass.com jeopardy. Factors ready-to-eat meals make eating better every day easy. When my schedule gets busy, it's nice to have pre-prepared, chef-created, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to my door. With over 35 different options a week to choose from and over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons, make your weekly meal planning even more delicious and easy with Factor. Plus, Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. Head to factormeals.com slash Jeopardy50 and use code Jeopardy50 to get 50% off. That's code Jeopardy50 at factormeals.com slash Jeopardy50 to get 50% off. Yeah. Well, on Thursday, Lucas returning to face Alicia Schaefer and Zach Razavi. Lucas and Alicia were neck and neck most of the game, but Lucas was able to pull ahead slightly by the end of Double Jeopardy. All three players came up with the correct response, but Lucas is the one who earns his second win. Yep, I want to give a shout-out as well to Alicia, who really played a good game. Even after missing that first daily double, found the second one. You know, could have made a bigger wager, but I understand being a little gun-shy after that, but really played with a lot of heart. In the post-game chat, Ken couldn't help. I mean, if you look at Lucas, he's... He's wearing a jacket that does match his hair. Ken asked if he dyed his hair to match the jacket or if he chose the jacket to match his hair. Lucas says, you know, I think the hair came before the jacket, but mm. it really is pretty impressive, the match. Yeah, I feel like that reminds me of Rowan Ward, I think, did some hair. Yeah, a little uh, turquoise yes, with little a turquoise hair. shirt. Yep. Yes, yep, yep, yep. worked well for Rowan. Working well so far for Lucas. Yep. Closing out the week he is, going up for a third win against Sharon Bishop and Monica Chavez. It was a great game for our season 39 finale. Sharon proved to be a formidable challenger. She's neck and neck with Lucas in the Jeopardy round. Really turned it on in double Jeopardy, building a strong but not insurmountable lead going into our final, final of the season. Both Sharon and Monica couldn't come up with the correct response. What is Gonzo? So Lucas is able to pull off an exciting come-from-behind win, breaking our long streak of one- and two-day winners. 
he ends the season as a three-game champion. Incredible. And all three games with a pretty high money total in the 20,000s, which I think is pretty good. And I do want to point out that after we had that week of all runaway games, which had fairly low totals, which sometimes happens, uh, everyone thinks of a runaway as being a really high score, but sometimes when it material and blah 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 you don't have to wager with the runaway exactly so sometimes it's and this lower total this shows sometimes that when you have these tighter games you end up with higher finishing scores so lucas with a little extra cash to throw around on that summer trip has to cool his heels a little bit but will he will be back as a returning champion Yes. So it's interesting because obviously we're going to have Champions Wildcard, yep. which Lucas would qualify, but not this season because Lucas is still playing. So he will be making his appearance after our postseason, after all of that fun. So Lucas is going to have some time yeah. to relax, to study up. He could have one of the longest breaks we've ever had. Ken had to ask, you know, you've got the entire summer to prepare. We're going to see a whole new Lucas Partridge when you come back. And Lucas joked, well, we'll see what the hair color is going to be. So that's fun, too. Yeah, that reminds me of, I think, Austin Rogers. Whole new look when he came back. Whole new look came back, right? Yes, yes. Very well groomed after being sort of. Yeah, he was quaffed. Yeah, he was quaffed. Austin Rogers was quaffed. And putting together his highlights, you know, it was just like (laughs) this to this overnight. But literally, it was not overnight because we had, of course, the summer. All right, let's take a look at our season 39 wrap-up stats. Hit me with it. In syndication, with 46 weeks of original programming in Jeopardy!, we saw a total of 445 contestants. Jiminy Christmas. 381 contestants during the regular season, 64 contestants across our second chance, Tournament of Champions, and the high school reunion tournament. And according to our accounting department, season 39's total prize money was an impressive, whoa, wait for it, $5,930,842. Now that does include all the tournaments, it includes all the second and third place prizing on the regular shows but that's nearly six million dollars people are you hearing this try out for jeopardy we've said it before we will say it again yes we've made five millionaires so far you could be the next one it's an anytime test it takes less than 15 minutes it changed my life it changed your life there you have it that wraps up our final game highlights for season 39 and now it's time to welcome jeopardy masters finalist matt amodio to the show welcome back matt Good to be here. Excited. Well, we haven't seen you in a few months, ever since that little thing we call Masters. How has life been treating you? Uh, It's been very good. Yeah, I I like how uh, not being on the Jeopardy set for a few months constitutes a uh, uh, like unexpected, unusual break. (laughs) Yeah. It's well, been a busy couple of years for you, huh? Yeah. <laughs> it has. You were part of both season 37 and season 38, of course. And I don't want anyone to forget that you are the only one in history to have played Jeopardy with seven <laughs> different hosts. I don't think we ever thought that no. would even be a statement that anyone could accomplish. No. But you did it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's a weird experience. So most people, uh, if they get so lucky as to be on the Jeopardy stage at any point, will play one game uh, with one host uh, and it will be a great experience. Uh, Everybody has a good time, I hope. But I had a very fortunate experience uh, where it just kept going (laughs) and Jeopardy is still a part of my life even to this day. And so I'm so fortunate for that. 
you had said in your initial run that you had really wanted to have Ken Jennings as a host. And, you know, you had six hosts at that point, but it had not yet been Ken. Now, TOC and Masters, you've now been hosted by Ken twice. Now, you haven't come out a champion in either of those. Are you still thinking you like Ken Jennings as a host? (laughs) I don't know. My enthusiasm for having Ken as a host was uh, initially from uh, ignorance. I didn't know uh, what a negative experience it was going to be. No, I'm just kidding. He is a tremendous host. We already knew he was a tremendous trivia player and a tremendous person, but we have learned in the last few years that he is also an awesome host. It's a different skill from playing the game, uh, but how he also so is talented at that, I I have no idea. Well, you get to share a few things with Ken. Obviously, you share the stage with him for TFC and Masters, but also some pretty impressive leaderboard of legend stats. You're one of five millionaires, thanks to Jeopardy. Did you ever think that would be something you could say? Uh, No. So I'm a stats guy. I engage with baseball growing up with it. I engage with Jeopardy uh, all the time. And so when I was uh, watching my own stats, I would track Coriat, average Coriat, the best Coriats, all this stuff. And I I feel really good. I I never imagined that my name would be right up there next to Ken's uh, in some of these leaderboards. But then when you introduce this kind of topic and mention the millionaire part, I say, oh, right. Yeah, that's also something that happened. (laughs) And in terms of the stats, you actually beat Ken on daily average. You know, in your mere 38-game run, (laughs) you were averaging $39,963 per victory, less than James Holtzauer, but more than Ken Jennings. Yes. You know, I I feel like uh, Ken was always uh, betting conservatively and final, even when he had room not to. And I can understand the impulse to do that because I think temperamentally, I'm more of a Ken than a a James. But, you know, the math just works out. If you know 50.1% of them, you should just bet everything you can. And it worked out well for me, thankfully. Now, when you came back for TOC, you were seated, which is something we had never done before in a TOC. But basically, we had you, we had Amy Schneider, we had Matea Roach. We had this level of champion we had never had before in a TOC. Obviously, it didn't work out so well for you in the (laughs) TOC. You know, any given day, anyone can win Jeopardy. We know that. But what's your thought on the seating now that you've, you know, had that experience, would you say? Yeah, I think uh, if all things are being equal, the seating uh, made me $5,000 because if I had played Sam uh, Buttery in the corner <laughs> final, then I think it would have ended up the same way. Yeah, no, I don't think that the buy made any significant difference to me. I, I did come in cold while I were playing. I was playing people who were uh, a little more warmed up, but really I need more than one game to fully break myself in. Uh, you get a rhythm maybe <laughs> after after five, 10 in the masters, like you could, you could really uh, develop a rhythm there, but one extra game practice, I, I don't think negatively impacts anyone. So I got to ask, you know, we've mentioned that you're in the rare air of the Jeopardy millionaire club, but when you were on the show, you were, in your PhD program, now you're doing postgraduate work. Do your fellow postgrads look at you a little <laughs> differently as the sort of probably, I'm going to guess, the lone millionaire yeah, in I'm the thinking, crew? Yeah, I'm thinking that when, is true. When the uh, tab comes at the bar uh, <laughs> and we're deciding <laughs> whose card goes in, it's usually looking right at me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, when it comes time to Venmo afterwards, I don't uh, always get everyone. Uh, mm. And I feel a little bad trying to hound them for it. So, yeah, there's Got that. It. 
Do you just love school? I mean, between the <laughs> University of Ohio, we've got University yeah. of Wisconsin, you've got yeah. Yale. Like, it seems like you are just someone who loves learning on a level that is pretty rare. Yeah, so I, I do love learning. I'm not sure I love school so much as I don't <laughs> love non-school. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, yeah, so I, I like learning, and if I can find any environment that encourages that and really supports it, that's where I want to be. What is the day-to-day life like for you in summer 2023? My day-to-day life is basically unchanged from pre-Jeopardy. I, I do say, I uh, when I'm walking down the street, I, I do run into people who flag me down and say, hey, Matt, could I get a selfie? Things like that. So that that is new. But <laughs> other than that, my, my work life is uh, just the same as it was before. I do AI research, and that involves me uh, coding and, uh, and being on my computer a lot. I enjoy the flexibility that academia gives me where I can usually work at home from the morning and then come into the office a little bit later and do my work there. And so uh, it's a pretty, pretty enjoyable time. I really like my work. I wouldn't want to give it up. Well, good thing, because Jeopardy is great and all, but you can't really quit your day job unless you're Ken Jennings. I guess he did quit his day job. (laughs) He did, yeah, eventually. So I don't want to bring up any painful memories. However, your 38-game winning streak did end... (laughs) eventually against Jonathan Fisher and Jessica Stevens, both of whom ended up in the Tournament of Champions. What was that reunion like? Well, let's go first to the game, because I think a lot of people consider that one of the best played Jeopardy games. It's certainly won a Jeopardy Honors award. It won a Jeopardy Honors award. best game of the season. You know, I don't know if we ever really got a breakdown from you of what that was like coming in as a 38-day champ and then playing such an incredible game. Yeah, so I wasn't warned that we were going to talk about this, so I'm going to have to like uh, bring it up uh, to remind me of what happened. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. I, I remember every moment of it in my head still to this day. Yeah, I mean, that's it was a very well-played game of Jeopardy by two of the three contestants. <laughs> uh, I feel like I, <laughs> I was not on my mark there. And it was a Monday game after a two-week taping break, uh, okay. which for most of Jeopardy's history is a normal break. But for my run, things were a little bit more compressed uh, time-wise in terms of tape day. So it was a, one of the bigger breaks for me. And I always knew that I'm, I'm not a morning person and it does take me a little bit of caffeine and and waking up to get on my buzzer rhythm. So I thought that Monday air day uh, was going to be my, mm-hmm. my Achilles uh, heel and lo and behold it was. <laughs> and this was a Monday, the first time you had Mayim Bialik as a host at that point, your sixth host, is that correct? Uh, yeah, I think that's correct. So that's another another variable uh, in it. And I remember uh, it was just a lot of pressing the buzzer and not seeing my lights uh, light up and then a few very uh, uh, poorly timed incorrect responses, including mm. on a comic book character. I, I saw a picture of Venom and of course I know uh, who Venom was, but just in the moment, people always uh, underestimate the uh, ability of your mind to just go blank on a name. But my dad is a huge comic book lover and we read a lot of the the Spider-Man stories as a, when I was a kid and we watched the Venom movie together. And so he was yelling at me in a facetious, but I, I think also somewhat serious tone <laughs> after that. <laughs> And it was your dad who really encouraged you to audition for Jeopardy. Is that right? 
Yeah, he really loves Jeopardy. And he's uh, kind of been teaching me a lot throughout the process. And I never really thought that I would get on the show. I, I never thought I would do well on the show. So I never auditioned for the show. But he was just nagging me and nagging me. And eventually I did it to appease him. And thank you, Dad. You were right. <laughs> <laughs> so I just want to say, Matt has played with seven different hosts. The two that he probably has the losingest <laughs> track record with are Mayan Bialik and Ken Jennings. Lo and behold, they become the two permanent hosts. How does that make you feel, Matt? You know, I... They couldn't have picked David Faber for you. Or... Yeah, exactly. What, what's what's Joe Buck doing these days? <laughs> yeah, no, it was great. The guest hosting time was really a special time, and I'm flattered and honored that I was able to be a part of it because uh, you got to see so many people come in who clearly uh, revered the show and the institution that it is, and to see that experience where instead of just three people uh, kind of in awe, on the stage you have four <laughs> people in awe on the stage yeah. was a a special moment for the show yeah you had robin roberts as one of your guest hosts as well and i remember robin came on the stage and she said i feel alex here she yeah. had met alex of course and she said i totally feel alex's presence here and i know that meant so much to all of us because we certainly feel his presence still today. One thing about Matt's last day before TOC, it was also Michael Davies' first, first day, day as EP, first tape day. He comes in, he hears about this hot shot, Matt Amodio, we got 38 wins. Who knows where it's going to end? This is going to be great. He sits down in the seat and 30 minutes later, what has happened? But certainly even he will say what a game to come in on totally. because it was such a competition and obviously a season that continued, you really set the tone because then came Amy and Matea and that season of super champions. Yeah. You really paved the way for the ball. And Jonathan himself. Yeah, uh, Jonathan. Of course. And Jonathan, you know, if you get 11, <laughs> yeah. you're a super champion. Yes. I did not mean to sell Jonathan short. <laughs> Double yeah. digits, man. Ryan yeah. Long. A oh, bunch of great champions It was in such a season. Such a season. And then we move on and we do the <laughs> TOC. And as we said, you leave us in the TOC, not in the finals. When you left the stage that day, were you pretty confident that was not your last time on the Alex Trebek stage? I I was moderately confident, but what I had in mind was maybe a reunion show 10 years down the line, uh, <laughs> something of that kind. And I did not expect it to be such a quick turnaround. And that was awesome. I was glad for that. <laughs> it was a pleasant surprise. And now it'll just be one more year. So when Masters was first announced and it was six players, a lot of people were a bit critical of the playing format. They thought there should be more players. They thought this is just a TOC remake with James Holtzauer thrown in. You know, we had a lot of critics, a lot of skeptics. And then at least our impression is when the six of you showed up and boy, did you all show up, what a performance you put on and how we really did have the six current best, which is what Masters is all about, on the stage in that moment. What did it feel like to be, one, kind of promoted to that high list from the beginning <laughs> that we're saying, you're one of the six best, and then to have to know you have to go on the stage and you have to prove that we chose the best for this competition, the first ever, and we needed it to be a success because yeah. we wanted Masters to be an annual event. 
Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, first off, I, I can understand where the people who uh, were a little disappointed at the choice of the, the six participants, what where they're coming from, especially because Jeopardy historically has used these tournaments to say, uh, like, oh, let's take a smattering of people uh, from sure. throughout the history that you may have liked, and we'll we'll give them one more hurrah uh, through through the experience. And so it's like a cameo uh, almost uh, for all these people you remember from the past. But as a sporting fan, I can understand where the actual idea through this uh, is that you want to set this like almost rule-based system uh, that you have to instantiate with some group of six. <laughs> but then after that, it will be perpetuating in a way that gives it legitimacy as an institution and all that good stuff. So I was, first of all, as a fan, pretty interested in the format. But then also as a participant, I'm very happy with the uh, with the selection. <laughs> I, I felt definitely a lot of pressure, especially because at that point, I think I had lost my previous three games of Jeopardy between my last regular season, oh, the right. exhibition and the match. exhibition game, and then the TOC semi. <laughs> and, and the TOC semi. Uh, and I know the exhibition match was a, a different thing, but still wasn't feeling overly good about my chances uh, <laughs> coming in. And then having to add James uh, into the mix there definitely didn't help. So I felt a lot of uh, pressure about that and was trying to lower my expectations. Coming in, I said, you know, a top three finish would be really great. The idea that you could pick any three of these people and have me finish above them seems like a, a stretch, but I would like that. Then when I got in the finals, I said, you know, second, first even, uh, that would be even better. But you you recalibrate your expectations as you move on. And then in the end, I got third and I was uh, very happy with that. So I do want to take my hat off to you as the person who showed after Emma Betcher that James Holzhauer can be beat. <laughs> How did that win feel? I think that was my favorite moment on the Jeopardy stage for myself. Wow. Yeah, I mean, James is a legend, uh, and he's a legend for a reason. He was very inspiring to me when I was watching him before I was on the show, and he kind of showed me that there is this level of greatness that you can achieve, and you don't have to be Ken Jennings to do it, because if if it's Ken Jennings, it's an exception, but if it's two people, now it's a pattern, and, and somebody else can do it. So he was really uh, inspirational to me, and just, just to see him dominate uh, over and over again, and his TOC was a bit closer closer, but he was still very in control. Uh, mm -hmm. And so having him come in and dominate his first game of Masters <laughs> said, okay, we're just going to be uh, uh, in for this experience again. And then that second game, and boy, that was that was thrilling. I think my heart rate is still a little bit elevated from the last <laughs> few questions of Double Jeopardy of that game. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, not, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Mm. So you come out of the second game, you had this thrilling victory over James, and the quarterfinals kind of drudged on, but you really <laughs> had to show up there 
you know, in the end to get into the semis? It, it was a roller coaster. I, I didn't start off so well. I won the game against James. I then had a, a rough patch and then I pulled one out at the end to win. Although I will say part of that is just the game sequencing because it's a lot easier to win games that James Holtzauer isn't in. And uh, <laughs> some of that is a <laughs> coincidence of when my games against James were in my quarterfinal right. stretch. <laughs> in the semifinals, once again, you know, we go into show nine and you have to win. It's a must win game for you. Not only do you win, you do the biggest daily double of the semifinals, 13,200 points. You get a runaway game against Matea and Andrew and you secure yourself a spot in the finals. That had to feel great. Yeah, so it's amazing what just the different uh, opponents can do to the buzzer timing because uh, it, it doesn't work in the straight mathematical uh, transitive property thing of if so-and-so can outbuzz so-and-so, if, if person A can outbuzz person B and I can outbuzz person A, then I can outbuzz person B. And no, it doesn't work that way. And so I was having just a uh, the uh, Dickens of the time uh, trying, to, <laughs> trying to buzz in on any game when James was there. But then when James was gone, I just found my buzzer rhythm uh, working a whole lot better. And so I, I played what I think was a very good game against uh, Andrew and Matea. I was very proud of that. I was kind of assuming that would be the last time I was on the stage uh, of this tournament. And then about halfway through, I looked at the scoreboard and I said, oh, wow, this is going well so far. <laughs> <laughs> and you would live another day and you would live more days in the, the finals. finals. Talk about the level of that material. What was it like to be against James and Matea with a half a million dollars on the line? Yeah, so I'd have to go back and, and look at it, but uh, I think there were double-digit triple stumpers in both of the games of the finals, and that was a surreal experience to be on the stage with uh, two other talented players <laughs> like that uh, and to just have so many stand and stairs. <laughs> and that, I think, is just, there, there's no better way of describing how difficult the material is than to say it that way. But it required calibration from myself because usually I... I'm used to the regular season Jeopardy where I feel like I know almost all of the questions. And so even if the parsing the question isn't coming to me at the moment, I ring in anyway and figure that in the six seconds that, uh, afterwards, I will uh, figure out what it's looking for and be able to respond correctly. When it comes to this level of difficulty, I can't do that anymore because mm -hmm. uh, it may be a composer that I've never heard of in my life as opposed to just needing to think about it for a second or two. It got me in trouble as well because sometimes when you get a daily double wrong and you end up at zero, you need to make up ground quickly. And in that case, you have to take stabs on things that maybe uh, you wouldn't want to ring right. in on in a close game. And again, in normal material, maybe my best guess, even if I only give it a 40% chance of being right, my best guess might actually be uh, the correct answer. But mm -hmm. in this case, I was ringing in, I would say, some bad bad guess. Uh, <laughs> Got it. And yeah. then Ken would tell me that, no, the answer is blah. And I had never heard of blah in my life. <laughs> but now you have, and you will no. never forget blah. You'll never forget. I'll, I'll, I'll be ready for it next year. Or dope sick. <laughs> dope sick. <laughs> That's right. That That's one right. still hurts. Dope sick. <laughs> yes. That big daily double. Well, unlike most times when you lose on the Alex Trebek stage, you know you are coming back once again, Masters, an annual event. ABC has already said, you know, tell these players they'll be back because they were so happy even in the early days of Masters. So what does one do 
knowing that they're coming back, knowing the level of competition. You know at least half of the people that are going to be in that yeah. field. And, you know, you do have your day job, but how do you kind of regulate needing to have a life but also needing to prepare to come back? Yeah, so I've been working on an elaborate distraction mechanism for the whole Tower household. <laughs> They'll be dealing with stray pizza orders yeah. uh, showing up at their door. And so hopefully that will uh, help my chances next year. Uh, but no, so I do have a lot going on in my life. Uh, my work takes a lot of time. And then I have family and personal life afterwards. And so at least for the uh, near term, I am taking a much needed break from <laughs> trivia and I figure sometime later in the year uh, maybe next year I will I will have to ramp that back up but at this point it's just uh, my head swimming a little bit yeah and I think it's important you know to get that rest in so you feel refreshed as opposed to just kind of like dragging yourself you know one of the things Roger Bannister when he ran that four minute mile one of the big changes he did was a lot of rest so I think you know that could yeah. work out very well for I you and this is something coming from Buzzy because Buzzy trains <laughs> for everything like no one I've ever seen before. So if Buzzy's saying to rest, it really it's, it means a lot. I've got two quick questions for you, Matt. I know I don't want to take up too much of your time. One, what's your lunch order on a Jeopardy tape day? Mm, very important. Ooh, I, I love the Impossible Burger. So I'm a vegetarian and I've never been a huge fan of like the, the black bean patties or the old style of uh, veggie burger. And so I usually just get something else. But now that Impossible Burgers are available around, I always jump to that. Do we have those at the Sony yeah, cafeteria? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. Wow. Yeah. I'm learning yeah, things good. on this interview. And they're good. There All you right. go. Um, my second question, we've talked about, you've got incredible stats in your initial run, money earned, correct responses, daily doubles, and continued you know, into masters. Is there one particular statistic as somebody who loves stats and saber metrics and all that stuff? Is there a statistic of your own that you are especially keen on or proud of that might not be the most obvious one to an average viewer? Absolutely. So this is one that I can just pull right off the top of my head that <laughs> I, I know that if you rank players by their regular season performance and then their average choreo, how many questions they get right, but weighted by the dollar value of those questions. I know that at the top of that list sits James Holtzauer. But I know that second on that list sits one Matt Amodio, and wow. you have to go all nice. the way down to third to find Ken Jennings. So, wow. uh, <laughs> Yet another so, yeah, place you where you get to James, you got to get through Matt. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've talked a lot about competition, but I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the camaraderie between you and your fellow Masters contestants. I think one of my favorite moments throughout Masters was when you talked about your friendship with Sam Buttery, despite, you know, being competitors. And obviously the six of you went through a lot in these tapings. We had unforeseen delays. We had a birth of a baby. Your, mm -hmm. your little Masters family went through a lot. <laughs> and I just would love for you to talk about that relationship and how it has been fostered through this, this unique Jeopardy club that you six are a part of. 
Yeah, it's really a special experience. So I, I know that most people who come in uh, to the Jeopardy tape day are with 10 to 12 other people uh, and they can form some friendships and relationships there. I found uh, that, so I've actually been pleased that people have reached out to me for my original run and said like, oh, you were so nice in the in the studio and, and on the tape day because I felt like I was very reserved and I was laser focused on my task at hand of uh, keeping my streak going. And so I feel like that, I had a lot of stress on me in that moment and was not able to really develop as strong of a relationship with people uh, as I would otherwise want to. In the Masters, it's such a weird experience knowing that we're trying to win, but we're going to be stuck together for a while, uh, <laughs> no matter what. And so we've just had a lot of opportunity to make small talk and then uh, go out to dinner together beforehand. And then we've been through a lot, which encouraged us or put us together uh, at, at these other times with ups and downs. So it's just really been a great opportunity to get to know them as people um, mm. beyond getting to know them as competitors. And I think most of America is jealous that you call Sam Buttry one of your best friends. Yeah. So uh, Sam is just a great guy. I mean, all five of my fellow masters are, are great people, but I think that I I have just a very similar personality to Sam. We, we riff off of each other uh, when we're together. He is, uh, as you know, very into wordplay with his uh, crosswords. <laughs> word writing uh, and everything. And so I am a big fan of it myself and we can just amuse each other for hours, or at least he amuses me. I have no idea how amused <laughs> he is by my comments. And we get together still that we're, we're planning to meet up just next week, actually. So the friendship lives on, the bromance lives on. <laughs> that makes me very happy. You know, I often say we don't get to choose who our Jeopardy ambassadors are, but we have been so fortunate and you are certainly one of yeah. the Jeopardy greats, but also just a great ambassador, a great human for our show. Thank you so much for taking some time. People were dying to know what Matt Emodio, the Emodio Rodeo, what was up <laughs> with him. Thank you for joining us. And it's not goodbye. It's just so long for now because yeah. we're going to see you back in Masters. That's right. Thank you very much for having me. This was a lot of fun, and I can't wait till next time. I know I say it every week, but I just love catching up with these masters again. They've had a little time from the tournament. What a great group of people. I mean, I think Jeopardy choosing your friend group is you know, a pretty good way to uh, make sure you've got some pretty special people around. That brings us to the end of today's show. We'll be back next week with our special interview with Jeopardy master finalist, the one, the only... Matea Roach. I cannot wait. And as a reminder, executive producer Michael Davies will be with us on the pod to discuss plans for season 40. And as always, make sure to subscribe to the podcast, rate us, leave us a comment, share across social, and follow us at Jeopardy on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, on YouTube, and on TikTok. And send us your questions and comments to Inside Jeopardy Podcast at gmail.com. We'll see you next week.